Story is destiny. Story is destiny. You've probably heard somebody say something like this. She'd never go out with somebody like me. Or maybe uh, that college is too big of a stretch. I, I, I shouldn't even apply, right? Can't, never could, right? You hear your grandmother say that? Won't, never would. Can't, never could. Story is destiny. Or listen to these couple of quotes. See if you can figure out who said this one. And it wasn't, by the way, Dorothy, all right? It wasn't Dorothy in Kansas. If birds can glide for a long, long distance, why can't I? Who said that? One of the Wright brothers said that. Who said this? What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you cared for him? Yet you made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Well, the psalmist said that, but Buzz Aldrin had it on a card that he took to the moon. Story is destiny. Story is destiny. The stories that we tell ourselves shape our lives. And the end of the story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that hopeful end unites us in common good. Today, as we, as we think about our world, as we think about the distresses that we have over the changes, over the deformations of some of our key institutions, as we think about what the church can be and the kind of influence it can be, let's take a look at how hope needs to shape us first, to shape even our anger and shape our courage. From the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 6 through the end of the chapter, this is Paul's probably fourth letter to the Corinthian church, calling them back to be formed by hope. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. But what we have concluded is this, that one has died for all, therefore 
all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we remember this morning that hope is like having early access to a promised inheritance. Through your word this morning, help us to invest well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was about 10 years old, I, I was on my dad's workbench and I was doing a, lot of, doing a lot of work, made a lot of sawdust. So I went in and I got my, I got our... Uh, Vacuum cleaner from inside, not the shop vac, the inside one. Yeah. This story does not have a hopeful ending. I got the vacuum cleaner and I vacuumed up all that sawdust. I felt pretty proud of myself and I went to just clean up one last little bit. I tried to turn it on, it didn't work. It didn't turn on. So I did what any 10-year-old boy in that situation would do. I made things worse. I took it apart. I took it way apart, like wires and transistors and all that kind of stuff that I can't even identify apart. I mean, I took that thing completely apart, thinking that somehow I'd figure out how to fix it. Now, if you think of the way that our colleges have gone, if you think about the way that all institutions have been going, since the Enlightenment, college, marriage, politics, institutions have been taking human life apart. We, we form institutions around core values. We form institutions around a common story. We have formed these, these great institutions. Now, maybe you don't think of marriage as an institution, but it is. We form institutions so that they can endure, so that the value that they represent can endure. That's why we formed institutions. But we've been taking human life apart and trying to sustain common community, not knowing what it's all for, not knowing how it all works, taking it apart and not even understanding how to fix or put back together what we've taken apart. One common uh, trend right now is to deconstruct, is to deconstruct one's faith. It's a word that represents so much from, especially from the French Enlightenment, but it's being used in popular culture to say, well, I've started, I've started to reason my way out of faith. Well, some of the greatest people of faith 
have reasoned their way into faith. And so I think if we're going to be an influence, if our church is going to be any kind of influence in a, in a culture that seems to be taking things apart and not understanding how the whole works together, then we need to understand how does our story bring us together? How does it bring us together? Well, see, here's what it is. It, it gives us a common hope. Our story gives us an ending, a, a destiny that shapes a, us in a common direction. It gives us a destination. It gives us a goal that shapes us in a common direction along the way. It gives us a common purpose. It gives us a, a common passion. And it gives us common pluck. <laughs> That's a word for courage. So let's look at how hope shapes us together. Because if we're going to speak, if, if our church is going to be, I know that people are distressed about the way that, that people are taking things apart and how they don't know how to put them meaningfully back together. Aren't you distressed about that? I sure am. And a lot of times what we want to do is just sort of power up. But let's look at how the church can be an influence by understanding how we come together, how our hope unites us in common purpose, passion, and pluck. First, our common purpose. Our destination, our destiny, our, the, the restoration, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's, that's the arc of history. The restoration, the idea that God is going to be putting things back together again. That hopeful, promised inheritance. We have access to that now through hope. And it gives us a common purpose, a common purpose. It puts us shoulder to shoulder. When we're looking at the same thing, you know, when, when you say, hey, let's, let's go over to that tree on the hill, right? When we're all looking at the same thing, we all tend to go in the same direction. We all tend to go shoulder to shoulder. That's a powerful witness in and of itself. That's a powerful influence for the church. That's how our institution can bring influence in a culture that wants to take everything apart with no meaningful way to put it back together. We have a common purpose. Verse 14, it says, the love of Christ controls us. Controls us. That's a strong word. Control. Paul could have used a bunch of different words here. Now he chose to use that word. Controls us. Controls us. Constrains. Confines. You know, if you, look at a com if you look at a compass and you say, hey, let's go to that tree on the hill, then there are 360 other degrees you're not going to go, right? The love of Christ directs us. It confines us. It hems us in. It boxes us. It, it, it constrains us. Yuval Levine is a public intellectual, a guy who, as far as I know, isn't necessarily following Christ, but has uh, made a lot of sense over the last few years. Uh, I've, I've been reading his book called A Time to Build, and, uh, and I'm going to read a couple of quotes this morning from his book, A Time to Build. Here's one. We've seen some tremendous failures of institutional leadership in the last few years. 
a failure of responsibility and especially of interpersonal responsibility. Interpersonal responsibility. A failure to say, I have a role in this institution, in this situation. And given that role, what should I be doing? What should I be doing to regain our trust? The people who populate our institutions, okay? He's saying if if the people who populate our institutions want to regain our trust, right? I mean, institutional trust is at an all-time low. There's a new Pew poll out last couple of years that institutional trust is really low. And that's that's since question authority in the 1960s. It's even lower. He says if if the people who populate our institutions want to regain our trust... They, our institutions, they need to understand themselves through those institutions again. They need to understand themselves through those institutions again. To see their roles and characters as formed by them. A recovery of the formative and thus constraining purpose of key institutions. Can you hear Paul echoing in what he's saying? Can you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying the church has a role. Our life together has a role to form us. To form us. The love of Christ controls us. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, spoke a a beautiful marriage homily for his niece. Speaking about marriage as an institution. And I often think about this when I'm standing up with a couple and they're making these promises and they feel all giddy and they feel euphoric and they feel something, they feel love, they feel a sense of commitment, they feel a sense of, of, of lifetime purpose, but do they understand what they're committing themselves to? It's not just about them, it's not just about how they feel, it's not just about what they want out of the marriage, it's what the marriage represents to the whole. It's what the meaning that comes, the, 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 the stability that we lend to one another when we make our commitments and we stick to them. Here is what Bonhoeffer says. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness, but in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility toward the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but in marriage, it's more than something per- personal. It's a status, an office. Hmm. Institutions sound a little bit more intriguing, don't they? I mean, when you say institution, don't you want to just take a nap? I mean, I do. You know, I mean, it's kind of like institution. Wonderful. That's great. Let's talk about institutions. And yet, when you think about how we're being shaped by them, whether they're being pulled apart or whether they're being sustained, we're being shaped by them. We're being shaped according to their purpose. We could be, and that's what Paul's calling the church back to be. Saying, look, be a shaping body. Be a people who are united in common purpose because your union in Christ when you are shoulder to shoulder going in a common direction, you will be a force. You will be an influence. You will shape and influence the people around you. It's just gonna happen. But if you're constantly being pulled this way and that way, if you don't understand how your destination, your hope unites you, if you don't invest in the end of the story, 
then you're not going to find the kind of union that you could have, the kind of community that you could have along the way. So that's, that's the, the first point. Paul is speaking to a chaotic church. You know, I, I said, this is 2 Corinthians, but I, I told you when I was reading it, this is probably the fourth, maybe even the fifth letter that he, he wrote to this church. And he's crossed up with all kinds. Of, we're going to see in just a minute how he's crossed up with some individuals in this church. Crossed up with the same kind of issues that he's dealing with in Galatians and in Romans and in Ephesians as well. People who want to use the church just as a place of social power. They want it to be a morally influencing uh, institution. But, you see, if you reduce it to morals, then you're just going to align the morals according to whatever the order of the day says morals are. Paul is saying, look, be formed in the heart by the gospel in common purpose. And let the institution have its role in shaping those who come behind us and even you along the way. So that's the first point. So last two points sort of come off of a, a quotation from Augustine about hope. He says, Augustine says that hope has two beautiful daughters. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Anger and courage. Anger about the way things are and courage about the way things could be. So let's take a look at those two beautiful daughters of hope. Anger or passion and pluck courage. That, that the church, when we invest well, when we are purposefully, hopefully driven, united shoulder to shoulder, we, through anger and courage, through passion and pluck, we can have a great influence on a culture that wants to just take things apart without being able to meaningfully put them back together again. First, passion. It's the anger over the status quo. It's righteous anger. It's looking out and saying, things shouldn't be this way. That's not right. That's unjust. That's not the way God intended. Paul is saying this. You need to have a preferred vision, hopeful vision of the, of the future in order to draw a contrast to the way things are now. He's drawing a contrast. In verse 12, you back up from verse 14, verse 12, he says, I want to enable you to answer those who boast in their outward appearance and not in the heart. Who boast in their outward appearance and not in the heart. Paul isn't saying, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to commend myself I mean, if the Lord were to take me, he's, he's saying, if I were in the body, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm glad for that. If I'm out of the body, in other words, he's saying, if, if the Lord takes me, if I die today, then I will be present with him. So I'm not trying to build my own empire. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not trying to make the church become something that, that is my own personal platform for self-aggrandizement. That's what he's saying. But he's saying there, there are those among you who are doing that. And you need to be discerning about that. And when they're using the gospel or the message of the gospel in order to build themselves up, I've got to grab that water. Grab that water for me, will you? Just toss it to me. Thank you. Then you need to be able to draw a contrast. You need to be able to say, 
this isn't right. Paul, again, dealing with people who would take religion, who would take the gospel and reduce it to moralism so that it would be powerful rather than purposeful. Yuval, <clears throat> excuse me again, Yuval Yuvain, Levine. I'm, I'm speaking too hard this morning. I'll calm down a little bit. <clears throat> again, Yuval Levine says this. We now think of institutions less as formative, less as formative and more as performative. Think about this in terms of people's expectations. Sometimes people get married just to, just to sort of position themselves. Sometimes people pursue public office. Can you imagine that? Just to perform, just to be somebody, just to sort of convince themselves of their father or, uh, or <clears throat> their, their social circle. That there's somebody, he says, <coughs> less, less as molds of our character and behavior and more as platforms for us to stand on and be seen. And so, from one arena to another in American life, we see people using institutions as stages, as a way to raise their profile or build their brand and those kinds of institutions become much harder to trust. That's tough. That's true. You know, uh, <clears throat> back in the 80s, Lee Iacocca was celebrated for turning around Chrysler. <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm sorry about this. <clears throat> I'll get through it. So will you. Um, <laughs> He was, he was celebrated for turning around Chrysler, for being such a great man, for being such a strong man. And then uh, I remember uh, reading Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins' book about the level five leader. And in it, he contrasts somebody like Lee Iacocca with all of the leaders of the Japanese companies that were competing with our our motor works, all of our automakers. You didn't know the names of the Japanese companies, leaders. See, he's drawing a contrast between somebody who was, yes, providing strong leadership, but really as a platform, a performance for aggrandizement versus building teams that effectively drove their industry forward. This is a value, you see, a value of a common goal. And when we see in the church, when we see in the see any institution to distinguish people around them and draw they could to say things right. We've been verse 18. We've been given the word world to himself. And draw a kind way. Let's go for it. Let's 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 dream something and do it. Let's Let's imagine how things could be 
not just in this church, but around us in Thomasville. And let's see our institution, First Presbyterian Church, be a force for good. You get back to love of Christ controls us. We do everything in love. Verse 18. From God, who reconciled us to Himself, we have reconciliation. So loved to let the line of of evil run. People's problems in uh, chapter sixteen. We do. The love of Christ. Why am I, is somebody that personally, who knows, it sounds like somebody who's telling themselves the story of the gospel. It sounds like somebody who knows where they're heading. It sounds like somebody who wants to call people in that common direction. It sounds like someone who has great courage. Great courage for the story that they're telling themselves. Great courage about the shaping power and purpose in it because they understand how it shapes a life. They understand how it can shape the institutions to shape us. 